everyone, it's Kaya, and you're listening to Warmly. Warmly brings the heat back to conversations that went cold. We're going to talk about love, loss, people who drive us crazy, the careers we've built, the bridges we've burned, who we want to become, and so much more. Warmly exists to make space for the simple, the side-splitting laughter, the sorrow, the turmoil, and the plateaus in life. At the end of the day, Warmly exists to build a community that embodies vulnerability, wherever you are, whoever you are, and however you got there, reclaiming power in our lives and over hardships we once felt powerless in. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, no matter when or where you're tuning in from. I am glad that you're here. In case this is your first time around here, my name is Kaya, and I'm your friendly neighborhood host of The Warmly Podcast. We're coming up on 25 episodes of Warmly, which is pretty wild because that is pretty much the halfway mark for an entire year of Warmly. But today's topic is kind of a follow-up from my episode a couple of weeks ago where I read a letter that I wrote to a friend I am no longer friends with. Many of you reached out through text, DM, phone calls to share that this message of friendship lost is one that hit especially hard this year. It really struck me that this year of all years, when we've been asked to slow down, take deeper breaths, dial it back, this is the year that so many of our relationships and connections seemed to have fizzled, flopped, and floundered. And even though nothing this year has truly made the highlight real, I guess I'm mainly just speaking for myself here, those pains that we've felt and the disconnect that we've been subject to has in many ways happened in our own personal silos, which is kind of the focus or the topic today. In spite of the connections that we have suffered this year, I would also be wild not to acknowledge the connections that a year like this has brought to my doorstep. Through this podcast alone, I've been reconnected with many of you or connected to you in ways that has brought about a sweet connection. Um, As we grow and as we try new things, those who are seeking the same outcomes naturally are going to gravitate towards one another or seek one another uh, out. I love this, but in a weird way, it, it feels like we're all shedding the skin of past relationships, some good and some bad. You know, it felt a little odd to put that episode out there because it's just how vulnerability feels in general for me. Uh, But I can't use that weird feeling as an indicator for what not to share and what to share. I still don't really have like a science or a fallback way to really make that decision, except that my general rule of thumb with only minor exceptions is that if it's still going on, it's not worth going on and on and on about at least not, you know, obviously in a public format. Social media and newsletters, podcasts, etc. give people one more outlet to have to make decisions and boundaries around like what to share, how to share it, and why. Creating silos that feel safe and appropriate for us to examine life are actually a great thing. But the barriers that this year has created for us in sharing time with one another has also made showing up honestly with one another even harder, which is kind of what leads me to our topic for today. 
Now, one of the ways that I've actually made it through this year is through the enjoyment of this thing called the skin deep. And I've referenced it before. It's one of my favorite things, one of the inspirations I cite for starting the podcast. I actually stumbled across the Skin Deep a few years ago and spent hours listening and watching their content on YouTube. It was like watching a couple's therapy session mixed with family therapy, therapy with your ex, your sister, your worst enemy, or even a blind date. Skin Deep began in 2014 as an exploration of human connection in the digital age. This actually became an Emmy award-winning interactive documentary that gives you a front seat to real human connection. You may be totally lost, but I'm going to describe in short what they do. They welcome two people and they record them. They provide that couple with a set of questions that evoke heartfelt conversation. This could be a conversation, like I mentioned before, between lovers, friends, siblings, estranged friends, or estranged family members, or even exes. Since its inception, the Skin Deep has filmed nearly 1,000 different pairs in almost 20 different locations throughout the world. As if watching these was not good enough, the Skin Deep has several different card decks with a total of over 1,500 questions that spark real and meaningful conversations. I actually just ordered a few decks for myself and for gifting purposes this year. You can check them out at theskindeep.com slash shop. There's no code. This is not sponsored. I just love the Skin Deep because it's challenged me and encouraged me to be more vulnerable in my relationships. Anyway, so I ordered several decks. One of those is actually the self deck, which is great for journaling or just self-reflection in general, whatever capacity or medium feels most natural to you. I wanted to give you a sample of what some of those cards are here. One question is, what gives me energy and how can I bring more of it into my life? Second question example would be, what's the one thing that I need to do but I haven't done yet and why? Another example would be, what is the example that I'm leaving for others? And then fourth, what is the most important thing to me right now? And finally, how does my fear serve me? Some of my favorite questions hands down in every single Skin Deep episode is when they ask, what is the pain in me you wish you could heal? Another one of my favorites is, what's something you're hesitant to tell me? Or when was the last time I disappointed you? Or when were you most proud of me? Call it narcissism or call it self-obsession, but as I watch these dialogues unfold, I think about all the people I'd love to ask these questions of in my own life. Am I brave enough to ask my friends the very last time that I disappointed them? Or learn what it is that they feel they can't talk to me about. Can I stomach that truth? The skin deep is like what lifting weights is, but for your metaphorical heart. Steady use and consumption will grow your empathy for others and challenge you to stick it out through the darkest moments. It ultimately just makes you stronger. Anyway, I was recently on a skin deep binge, which involves hours of various episodes I'd never seen before. They always have great new content. And honestly, there's so much content that there's just tons of stuff from years ago that I've never gotten around to. There was a couple that they had recorded three times with, once after they got engaged, and at that point they'd already been together for four years, and another time right after the wedding. 
The third time they recorded was one year after they got married. There are several of these types of couples, the ones who record once a year or maybe before and after a big life event like a wedding or having a baby. It is fun just to see how some of their questions and answers evolve over time and how even after years, these people can continue to learn things about one another and learn how things that they said or did impacted the other person or the trajectory of their relationship. The pair that I'll be talking about today consists of a rugged, bearded musician man named Corey and a bold-lipped, dark-haired lady with tons of career aspiration and promise named Lynette. I'm using their real names because all of this information is public, and like I did, you can also find these videos, as well as all of the information about them, by doing a simple Google search. I've actually linked all of the videos I'm about to reference, as well as the other pages on Lately, the Warmly blog. Just visit warmlypod.com blog and click on the link for today's episode. In their first video, they answered questions like, who has more power in this relationship? And what's something that you're hesitant to tell me? And they talked about how Lynette's friends and family responded to her bisexuality. Their second video was recorded just one month after their wedding, where they shared their favorite moments from the wedding day, the most painful comments that they've gotten from folks on the internet, and the question, what is the worst thing I could do to hurt you? Their third and final video with the Skin Deep was filmed a year into their marriage, where they dished over questions like, describe the time you felt most alone in our relationship, and when are you most proud of me? Now, Lynette made a comment during their first interview, the one where they just got engaged, about how she believed their faith would carry them through. She made this comment specifically in response to some of the fears that she shared about Corey's career as a musician and his career just really blowing up and what that might mean for their future together. Faith, for me, has a history of being rose-colored glasses as much as toxic people, depression, and four mimosas at brunch have been in the past. When I heard her say that she knew that because of their faith, they would be okay, it poked the bear inside of me. I found myself whispering underneath my breath, I sure hope she realizes that that is not always true. You see, I have witnessed faith being used as a tactic to elevate someone's human experience and used as a fast pass to plummet through life's painful moments. Some people believe that their faith removes them from some experiences and puts them on another path altogether. Honestly, for some people, it can have that effect. I like to call these people bubble wrap Baptists. This is a term I made up for the purposes of this episode only, but one that I plan on using a lot moving forward. I've actually been looking for a phrase like this for quite some time, and I'm pleased that it's finally here for good. Bubble wrap Baptists are the kind of people who eat, sleep, and breathe the church. The only books they read are the Bible or authors that claim to be distantly related to Jesus himself. Bubble wrap Baptists don't believe that works can save you. It's your faith, after all. But they also happen to be the first ones to point out if your works don't meet their standards or don't align with what everyone else in the crowd is doing. Got questions? Do not bother asking them. Bubble wrap Baptists view the act of questioning as an act of rebellion at best or deliberate deviation from what the Lord wills at worst. 
Bubble wrap Baptists have a lot of rules, but not a lot of grace for rule breakers. They have a way of creating a life that appears to and feels to be shrink-wrapped, void of all breathing room, wiggle room, or any other kind of room for vulnerability or error otherwise. Unfortunately for them, a lot of famously bubble-wrapped Baptists were just really good at covering up the truth or convincing themselves that they were inherently more holy, less prone to sin, and all-around better people. Ironically, the person that they claimed to love and worship didn't really hang out with these kinds of folks. Jesus was up close and personal with rule breakers and the people who were estranged from their families, the people who were sick or otherwise rejected by their peers or society at large. These bubble wrap Baptists have opted into a life by willingly shutting themselves off from things or people because they are quote unquote worldly. By saying no to alcohol and dance and sex, they've freed up more space in their life for different guests to reside. Pride. Sweet and overpowering pride. This often distances them from those they claim to love but refuse to get too close to. I've learned personally that what works for me and has helped me to grow is adapting to and welcoming voices outside of what I learned in the Bible and to entertain ideas and people who have had different experiences than I have, allowing them to shape and grow my heart. I believe that our belief in a higher power, if indeed there is one, doesn't prohibit or permit that higher power from making itself known. Our belief doesn't unlock any kind of control that a higher power might have over us in our circumstances. Our neglect doesn't dissuade them either. I believe that we're all subject to the same trials, tests, and temptations because at the end of the day, we are all human. And a big part of the human experience is navigating things like job loss, miscarriage, and addiction, and boredom. This may not be a popular opinion, but I don't believe that your faith inherently makes it easier to process those negative experiences where loss and grief may grip you. If anything, some of my atheist friends who believe that there is no higher power seem to be the most well-adjusted of us all. They don't really have to come to terms with the idea that there is a higher power. And if there is, why does that higher power really allow these horrible things to unfold in our lives? Anyway, I digress. Lynette's comment was ominous. In that moment, she made me very aware of the silo in which she felt she resided. Ironically, unfortunately, and unbeknownst to her, there were cracks. It revealed in me this ugly sentiment, halfway wishing that the truth of life would rear itself and reveal itself to her. Not that I was wishing pain on her, but my lived experience was so opposite of her sentiment that I guess I just ached to hear her say that she thought their relationship would be okay because of their faith. But at the same time, I used to believe those exact same things. I believed that my faith could get me through the darkest of times. I believed that the obstacles I faced, all of them, could be surmounted if I just had a little more faith, a little more grace, a little more etc. In fact, I believed that I was called to bestow grace, even to my abuser. The church affirmed this and instructed this. The church did not believe itself to be equipped to offer help when it was most needed, With over 783,000 words at their disposal for instruction, their actions fell short. So I created a silo. That silo was foreign, damp, vacant, and showed lots of promise. I realized at the time that my faith didn't feel safe, so I actually felt like I had to cling to something else that did. There's another time and another place for that whole story, but I'd like to focus on 
Corey, and Lynette. Their three skin-deep sessions really only gave me a limited perspective of their lives, but I also felt like there was more to their story beyond what these time capsules revealed. Flash forward to an hour into these episodes, and of course I found myself in another rabbit hole after simply googling Corey and Lynette to see what they've been up to since then. The very first search result brought me to a YouTube video recording that Lynette recorded in 2019 announcing their divorce. Yeah, this was posted less than a few years after their relationship began and less than two years after their very last recorded session with the Skin Deep. The video recording she made announcing their split was about 45 minutes long, and I originally thought I would watch just the first 10 minutes just to check it out. Virtual rubbernecking in this context still feels a little bit odd, but in the comfort of my own apartment, I found myself justifying each and every minute longer. In those moments I watched, I felt a familiarity and a closeness, a curiosity to know what the hell happened, and if it was or was not related to this whole idea that their faith would carry them through anything. Their marriage failed according to some people's standards, but I too have gone through that experience of clinging to this unbridled and unhealthy faith that redemption canceled out red flags and that sanctification was a stand-in for their secret keeping. As someone whose marriage lasted barely a year for being generous, I felt for her. I found myself watching her 45-minute-long confessional slash life update with the slightest sense of relief just to see that what I knew to be true for me had also become true for someone else. In the same moment, I assumed she learned that her faith, their faith, didn't have the power to help them through this marriage, I also realized how reckless it was for me to hope for her eventual realization. Even though my internal snark and dialogue had no actual impact on their reality, all of which had already wrapped three years ago anyway, I didn't feel okay with how forceful I was with that truth. No, it's not like I was jumping for joy, but I guess I just believe that knowledge is power, and I believe so strongly in the truth of what my experience with marriage and divorce taught me that I was hoping she'd learn sooner rather than later. And unfortunately, it looks like she did. Honestly, she never said what I thought she was going to say. And as much as I was hoping for her to connect her decision and the destruction of their relationship to the church and to their shared faith, just to bring it all full circle, she never actually said those words. And I don't know that she needed to, even if that were true. She didn't say much about faith or religion or any of that. She shared about how, within their first year of marriage, they decided to separate for a time, something my ex joked about to me once before I actually up and left. Like, for real. As each minute passed, I became more and more invested in the battery of her experience and the way she chose to tell her story. I was mildly intrigued and also uncomfortably curious about her healing and how she moved forward from that experience. If it was anything like my healing... It felt like it took place in a silo, even when the world was around me. I sometimes find myself wrestling with this deep desire to reach the world with my story, much like she was doing in those moments. But that desire for me has also always been mixed with this utter fear of what would happen if that actually came to fruition. After I got out and survived a relationship fraught with domestic abuse, I kind of felt like there needed to be a silver lining. I needed a why. 
Many people told me that they felt I would be able to reach others and help so many other women just like me who are part of a church or were part of a cyclically abusive relationship or marriage who needed to see that life continues on the other side. As much as I love a good silver lining, especially as an Enneagram 7, I also resented that such a horrible thing had to happen. A lot of it by choices on my part, I suppose. You see, my story and even this platform are something that I hope evoke vulnerability and bravery in your own life. That doesn't mean that every story you have must be told. For me, there are many stories that will probably never get told, but they carry just as much weight and influence and transforming power in my life. You see, this couple had pretty public lives, and they still do. They weren't your traditional celebrity, but these days you don't have to be a traditional celebrity to have your entire life, all of your missteps, celebrations, failures, and plateaus noticed and picked apart by the public eye. We've started building glass silos. In Lynette's YouTube confessional, listeners learned about how strapped they were financially, how violent their fights were, and how lukewarm and unequally yoked their interest was in one another leading up to their engagement. Listeners learned how invested both of them were in keeping up the appearances of what their relationship looked like from the outside instead of actually letting their real struggles be visible and tangible to others. As I watched Lynette share, I was relieved that I never had a life so public that I had to keep the people up to date with something that felt so invasive and so private. I was thankful that what I felt was my greatest and most obvious failure to date was something I could draw a comfortable ring around, measuring which pieces of my story got out, how, when, and where. My silo might be dark and damp and oversized, but it's made of concrete. This got me in my head and in my feels about the whole idea of how our experiences often feel wasted when we let them be what they are, a fleeting moment. This feeling and this sentiment is one I've grown to loathe, but one I'm trying to accept. Here's what I mean by that. My memory is not great. I have very limited memories of my childhood, even my college days. And due to a lot of the trauma I experienced right out of college through my own abusive marriage, I don't remember a lot of that either. For me, everything feels fleeting, every single moment. Sometimes that could feel like a blessing, like being able to forget tough moments that I thought would never end. Other times it's devastating to lose memories I know that others have such fond recall of. What I've done to combat my memory loss is to document via words and photos. These mediums validate my memories because they exist outside of me. They remind me that it happened, not necessarily the medium of using words and photos for public consumption on social media, though there are some occasions in which that feels appropriate. But what I want to share with you today is a truth that I hope never gets lost in all of the vulnerability in all of the sharing that goes on here, no matter how much is said and what is shared. The things that take up space in your life, memories, people, losses, they don't become more valuable the second that you say them out loud. They're not more devastating if it involves a dead dog or a pickup truck. And your story is not any less powerful if the only person who knows about it is you. Your silo, it still stands. Your struggles are no more behind you if you invite others to partake in your pain. The thrills 
are no more exciting if and when they're met with the joy and excitement of others. These memories become no more or no less by how you choose to safeguard your story. Your story is not a commodity. It's not a thing to be monetized. These experiences are a gift that not everyone gets to be the recipient of. In fact, those parties where people sit there for hours opening gifts and ooing and aahing over the fuzzy little socks or the bread maker or the limited edition KitchenAid with five different paddles have left us to believe that we are entitled to other people's joy, other people's agony, other people's everything. Watching someone else open up their gift does not make it ours. It doesn't mean that you get to touch, feel, poke, prod, or call it your own. We are often trusted with other people's truths, but that doesn't make it our truth. We are invited in, sometimes just for a moment, a snippet of time. The invitation is not a transfer of ownership, but an invitation for connection. Vulnerability is that invitation to pull up a chair and sit down just for a while. It's not an invitation to step behind the pulpit, wax eloquent about lessons learned, or pit your pain against theirs to see which one is truly worse. As I watched Lynette pour out her agony to over 81,000 viewers, I could not help but wonder if the experience she had could be separated at all from the experience of sharing it with 100,000 people who knew her name, but not much more than that. So what am I trying to say? Clearly, I have a lot of thoughts, but the main thing I'll leave you with is this. We've heard the saying that sharing is caring. And I'm here to say that not everything is meant to be that way. In a world where sharing is glorified and secrets are almost always uncovered, we can still find ways to honor our truth without sharing it, streaming it, and dissecting it into a hundred thousand pieces. That's it for today. Thanks for tagging along. In case you forgot, I'm your host, Kaya. And this, of course, is Warmly. If you haven't already shared this episode or any episode that touched you with a friend, and if you'd like to hear more from us here at Warmly, visit warmlypod.com slash subscribe to get our newsletter. Special thanks go to the artist who wrote Warmly's very own one-of-a-kind theme music, A Day Without Love. To learn more or listen, visit adaywithoutlove.com. You can find their stuff on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, and anywhere else you could possibly want. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Wormly on Apple Podcasts.